0: This is The Business of Pleasure.
1: I live life to enjoy it, and I don't really care what anybody has to say. I come from a family of strong women, and, you know, I mean, I just that's what I know. Because we're scared to talk about it. I- that is so crazy to me, because at the end of the day, everybody's doing it. People need to stop being so hush-hush about everything and so shy about everything.
0: Welcome to our podcast, a weekly discussion with people who are in the business of pleasure. Brought to you by Bedroom Candy, a sexual health and wellness company. Once a week, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the sexual health industry, entrepreneurship, relationships, and empowerment. Join me, Nadine Thompson, president of Bedroom Candy Boutique Parties on this journey of self-discovery as we wash away age-old stigmas about sexuality, self-love, and to learn about the lives of the people that make their living in the business of pleasure. Well, welcome today to The Business of Pleasure. I am truly honored to be sitting with Dr. Rachel Ross.
1: The Business of
0: Pleasure, I love that. That's (laughs) nice, huh? It is the Business of Pleasure. So, Dr. Rachel, it's just so great to have you here. It's so great to see you.
1: It's so great to be here. I mean, you know, you guys are doing some great things with sex and relationships. You know, I know the two can go not hand in hand and the two can go hand in hand. So, you know, we can couple them and uncouple them. So it's great to be here. It's great to have
0: you here. Now, you have had an extraordinary career and I know we could spend most of the podcast talking about that Um, and, you know, you've been on The Doctors, we've seen you on TV, we've seen you, you know, quoted as a national expert. Um, And I know that you are a physician Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about your practice. Do you do do family medicine? Is that it?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm a board-certified family medicine physician and a clinical sexologist, so that can be as interesting or as non interesting as you want it to be, but you know, I see everything from newborn babies to diabetics to hypertension to cancer, but I also really focus on helping uh, couples with their sex issues. Right. So wow. sex, that's what sexology is. It's kind of just the study of sex and everything that goes along with it, the stuff that goes behind it, because, you know, when we look at our our uh, sexual template and what turns us on and what turns us off, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that is you can trace back to kind of your childhood. So right. there's a lot that goes into sexual attraction, sexual energy, the physiology, the hormones and just the life influences on right. it, so right. it's all, it's never a dull moment there.
0: So you are the first clinical sexologist I think I've ever met.
1: Really? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I didn't. I didn't know. I mean, I've you know been in clinical work, but I have not ever heard of that as a specific practice. Now, when would someone? go to see, is it, is it the kind of physician that you would be referred to by your general practitioner? Like when would somebody come to see you? Well, I
1: think it's different depending on your city and depending on, uh, you know, the laws in your state. I mean, yeah. a sexologist, a sex expert, a sex coach, uh-huh. their, their whole process is to help you with sexual f- function okay. and sexual dysfunction. So unfortunately, you know, we have, you know, married couples, people who are in relationships. We estimate that two and four, sometimes three and four are in sexless relationships. Mm -hmm. So I think we get into the habit of thinking that's the norm, you know, it's just normal to go home and eat dinner and go to bed and not have sex. But I, I honestly know, and the clinical practice tells me, as well as research shows, that couples who are engaged in sexual activity mm-hmm. actually get along better. They're happier. They're, they're, they do better at their job. You know, everything. When you look at the continuum, is 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 in a better shape. So. I think that as we're all on this drive to live our best lives and to be as happy and healthy as possible, right. I, I do not think that sexual activity is something that can be ignored and oftentimes couples get into get into it they first meet you know they're having sex all the time all the time all the time and then when it falls off, everybody's sitting and wondering what happened right and it becomes the elephant in the room one person tries to work on it the other one tries to avoid it becomes the elephant in the room and then you know, you spend 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in that, that lane, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden one day somebody says, well, look, I'm tired of this. I, I want to have sex. I, I found somebody else I like. <laughs> and, you know, there you have it. So if you can keep couples engaged in sexual activity and keep them engaged in each other and in intimacy, you know, that goes a long way for the health of the relationship. Sex is never going to be the most important part of a relationship except for when you're, you know, in your 20s. But um, it, it, it's, it always needs to be an important part of the relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. I, um, I remember when I was studying to be um, a family therapist, one of my teachers said, you know, when people have affairs, it's not about the relationship outside of the marriage. It's an indicator um, of a symptom within the marriage. And okay. as I was listening to you, she came right back to me. That's like 25 years ago. Um, when we when I was learning this, and she says, you know, whenever a couple comes into treatment and they say, you know, um, so-and-so has had an affair and we're here to talk about the affair, um, she always says, let's talk about the marriage, what's going on in the marriage. And mm-hmm. I think you summed it up because I think we didn't really get into a lot of the sex stuff when I was training 25, 30 years ago. But um, she taught, you know, I think as I was listening to her, I was thinking, gosh, you know, a lot of couples are in that sex marriage and then they get to that point of meeting someone else who they can get that those needs met Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the marriage is in trouble not because they no longer love or like their partner but because they're getting this other very human need fulfilled someplace else and that's when your marriage becomes threatened and that's that's when it becomes a problem.
1: That is absolutely correct and it's easy it's very easy to feel sexual energy to someone who's new because what we fail to talk about is that what fuels sexual excitement is a little bit of mystery, is a little bit of the unknown, is a little bit of of sexiness that comes from not necessarily knowing every single thing about somebody. And so when you meet somebody new, it becomes easy sex. And so you have a lot of people that opt for easy sex instead of working on what can make our sex better and what can make it feel easier.
0: Right, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. So, Dr. Rachel, when you, you, you know, you clinical sexology is part of your practice. What are some of the common um, complaints? Um, let's start with women mm-hmm. uh, that come in that want to see a sexologist. What are some of their complaints? What are they struggling with? What's common out there?
1: I, f- I find that one of the big things that women end up in a situation with is that they're not honest with their partner early on in the relationship about mm-hmm. what they really like mm-hmm. you know there's so much faking and then there's so much newness in it that it kinda trains the guy to think that sex should be one way but oh, okay. when she really wanted it another way the whole time
0: okay. so maybe
1: she's been doing things like letting him okay this is a, this is a this is a good example I hear this all the time particularly with millennials and younger couples is um you know he likes porn mm-hmm. and so she's been letting him watch porn before sex and during sex. Well, eventually she gets to the point where she's always kind of felt like it was disgusting. But eventually she gets to the point where she's just disgusted. Right. right. Now <laughs> she it feels was like. Now I'm disgusted. Yes. Now she's disgusted. <laughs> now she feels like, oh, that's the only way you want me is if this is on. You know, this is disgusting. You know, I'm not those women. Right. You know, I don't look like those women. Exactly. You know, so that. Who becomes, does? Yeah, nobody. They don't even look like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a big issue is, you know, really starting the relationship thinking making someone think that you like one thing when you're really not into that. Yeah. And so I think if we start sexual relationships a little more honest, then you can figure out early on whether or not you're sexually compatible. And I honestly do think that if you have a, two people together and sex is very important to one of them, and you two aren't sexual, sexually compatible, it's just a matter of time before it falls apart. I mean the finances can be there, you guys can love each other, but that sexual piece When there is a sexual person in the couple is very important and if you don't think about that then now you know you guys have got rings and you've sat there and paid all this money for a wedding Mm -hmm. and it's falling flat so that's kind of where where sexologists, sex coaches can, can help. Right. And I can honestly say if something disgusts you today, there's nothing I could do to make you feel undisgusted by it tomorrow. And
0: again, I, I go back, I think about Eva Kenyon, who was that master family therapist who said, the issues that bothered you on your first date are going to be the issues that are going to bother you 10 years, five years in, you got to address it right up front. So like you said, if it's disgusting, on that first date, you're gonna be disgusted five years into the marriage. That's it's the same right. thing, That's right. whether they're slurping their coffee or they're, you know, they're leaving. <laughs> or they're
1: slurping something else. Exactly, if slurp, exactly. If the slurp, you don't like the slurp, but they like to slurp, uh-oh, we're in right. trouble.
0: <laughs> the other thing that you brought up that um, was another trigger for me was uh, pornography and millennials, and this is the first time I'm also hearing that that is common, I'm actually surprised about that. Mm. So tell me a little bit about that and what you've um, heard or seen or um, what you can share with us about that, because I think that is not something that a lot of particularly women feel comfortable talking about. I would assume that there might be some shame involved if your partner, um, you feel your partner needs to have pornography in order to get stimulated, that that might be a problem. So is this a common do you think it has to do with the whole video culture? What do you think that's about?
1: Yeah, I think it's very common. And I, I think men and women are wired differently. You know, men are very visual. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you meet a guy, if he doesn't know any better, he might send you a picture of his penis hard and think that you're going to get turned on by it. And the, 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 the part is very few women do. You know, a lot yeah, of women are more disgusted was. by it, yeah. So when we look at the porn that turns women on, which is more of erotica, on this is just like the, the average mm-hmm. and then you look at the the porn that turns guys on this is just the average is totally different you know guys like body fluids they like spit they like nasty you oh, know Oh, really uh-huh. okay and okay. so if you have a, a a lady in the situation who has no comprehension of nasty right. and you have a guy that just has trained his brain to just be like I want it as nasty as I possibly can well now the two can relate on a lot of different levels but they can't relate sexually so it, it's like his brain has been trained in that porn realm. You know, he's been watching it and, you know, he's watched it in college, he's watched it in high school. He's, you know, he's, he's on his phone and, you know, he doesn't think anything of it. It's just a normal thing. Whereas for her, she's never watched it. She's not into it. You know, the stuff that she does get turned on might be some kissing and making out that you might see on a movie with some heavy breathing. But when it gets to the actual fluids and all of that, it's not, that's not her. So then when you try to combine his porn with her idea of what it should look like, you know, women typically, you know, you put them in a room and you turn on some real porn, and they're like, oh, that's a bad weave. Ooh, <laughs> ooh look at those stretch marks. So they they get caught up in these little details that guys won't even see. They're looking right. at how she's sucking, you know, all of the fluids that are everywhere, like the sounds. So you it's try like to guys put these two sa- people together. in a sandbox. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Different yeah, experience. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Venus and Mars, and now she's trying to relate to that. It's hard for the two of them to communicate on that level. And then if it's playing while they're having sex, she's constantly looking at it and misunderstanding it. And he's constantly just using it as what we call a fluffer, you know, to get him hard and to keep him hard because what they've developed together doesn't keep him hard anymore. So it's, it's just kind of this vicious cycle. So, okay, so she wants the porn off. Okay, well, we've turned it off and now he, can't can't perform so now she feels like he's not attracted to her well it's not necessarily that it's just that he spent all these years training his brain to think of sex one way and now it's a process of getting him back in tune and excited with you know this person that you know they're farting together they're watching tv together you know they're arguing together so it 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 works both ways i mean the same guy that you found sexy you know five ten years ago well, now you know everything about him, you know, you know yeah. what his farts smell like, you know, yeah. you, you know that he is scared of spiders, you know, like yeah. all of these things chip away at the sexiness <laughs> of the situation. So the Goldie Gums, how do you rebuild that sexy right. and how do you get couples to recommunicate in a way that that turns them on? Because, right. you know, you can have sex all day long, but if you're not turned on during it, I don't know that it was effective. You know?
0: Right. I think of two things as you were talking. Gosh, it just you're just bringing up so many interesting uh, concepts for me. The whole idea of sexting. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that a lot of, particularly male politicians, mm-hmm. have gotten into a lot of trouble with the sexting thing. We've talked. Yeah. We were just having a conversation in the car about ministers who've gotten caught sending sexting to, you know, women outside of their marriage or to their down low partners. There's something also about men and sexting that seems to be very prevalent. Mm-hmm. It's something they're doing, and it's also kind of risky, and they're getting caught. Yeah. Um. You know, there was Andrew Weiner, the 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 senator or whoever who got caught, and I thought that is such a risky thing to do because once you put it out there, we all know that the person you're sending it to can send it around. But they keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find that really interesting. And you just mentioned sexting, too, that it's big thing for men. Sure. Well, well, here's the thing you have to keep in mind. You know, there's so
1: much adrenaline for a gentleman to take a picture of his. And I'll just say the word dick. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at it. And he's thinking, gosh, this is the most powerful. This is the best. thing. I mean, like, it doesn't get any better than this. Let me send it to her. Because I know she wants to see it because I know she wants to put her mouth on it later. I mean, so it's really this whole process. A lot of the gentlemen that you're talking about are narcissists. So when you're feeding a narcissistic type of behavior and then there's sex involved, there's no, no, I'm going to get arrested. There's no, uh, somebody else is going to find out about it. There's none of that because they feel like they're so above the situation that how could I get caught? How could she not like this so much that she wouldn't laugh at it and show all her friends? Like it doesn't even cross their mind that that would be something that could possibly happen to them. And that's, that's you know, politicians, uh, clergy, you know, narcissistic personality disorders run prevalent through both of those industries. Yes. <laughs> and that's what that is. It's pure narcissism. But there's something animalistic about sexting that men seem to really enjoy and some women do too but i think the issue is for ladies is not everybody can bring that out of you you know and if you've been with a gentleman for for some years and you guys are stuck in the status quo and he doesn't have the capacity to bring that out of you i'd guarantee you That if with a little bit of instruction or a different person, they could bring that out of you and you could enjoy sexting just as much. However, your ladies tend to get off more on the storyline behind the sexting, not the pictures. And guys get off a little more on the pictures. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's all. Stereotypical status quo types of things. Of course, there's some gentlemen that really want the words, mm-hmm. and there's some ladies that really want the pictures. But on average, it's 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 yeah, a little way. opposite. Yeah, and you know, exactly. with sex, you always have to know your audience. You got to know who you're dealing with. I mean, like, so for instance, if you you meet somebody, you're sexting them back and forth, and they're using words that don't mean anything to you, that don't turn you on, you've lost your audience. So like, say a young lady meets a guy and they're trying to sext and he's like, my Johnson is really talking to me right now. She's like, your Johnson, what the? Because you know, she knows it as a dick or right. my, you know, whatever yeah. it is. So it's like sex, not only <laughs> it has the physiology, it's got the communication part. You know, if you're not communicating to me in my language, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Your Johnson, is that you? Is that your dog? Like, who is, is, someone else there? Is it, oh, you're trying to set up a threesome? Oh, okay, I get it. I mean, so you always have to be cognizant of what's happening around you. And I think that oftentimes, you know, couples or people trying to hook up miscommunicate that. Right, yeah. You know, right. like, yeah, I, yeah. You know and, if, and if he's using words like Johnson, and I'm trying to figure out whether or not this is someone I need to get involved with, probably. Nine times out of 10, maybe we don't communicate sexually through sex messaging. So maybe we don't communicate together, right. in, in person either. So right. I think a, as a group, women, we need to be a little more uh, particular, you know, mm-hmm. pay attention a little more to the signs that mm-hmm. are there that this isn't going to work. So that, that why even go, go through the drama of it? But I think instead we're a little more impulse driven. Right. And then the right. impulse
0: happens and then you know, like you, you're you doing damage control. Later. Right exactly. Right. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is my favorite topic uh, when it comes to sex and that is intimacy. Mm-hmm. I think being a clinical social worker I think I lean more to the intimacy as opposed to the the actual sex part and I often talk about the fact that I think intimacy is really important to building a relationship, a healthy relationship. Um, wondered what your thoughts are about that, and what you say to couples about intimacy and and how you think they can, um, you know, bring some of that into their marriage. Because I see that as an authentic part of your sex life. Mm-hmm. You know, of building a relationship with somebody. I mean, I think when I was younger, you know, the sex was great there wasn't much time for intimacy. You Mm -hmm. know, you went out to the club, there was somebody you really liked, you really were, you know, you were digging the person and the sex was great and the relationship maybe evolved or didn't. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, the relationship became more important, the person. Um, And then the intimacy was more important because you're thinking about is this, pers- is this a person I could be in a long-term relationship with? Mm-hmm. And so I wondered if you, being a professional sexologist, if you have some thoughts about intimacy.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, particularly, you know, the longer you're with someone, I mean, intimacy becomes the most important part of it. I mm-hmm. mean, um, you know, when we're talking about sexless marriages, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have any intimacy, you know? hmm but I do find, too, that sometimes we use intimacy as a crutch to say that sex isn't as is important. Mm-hmm. So intimacy is, you know, we're hugging, you know, we're kissing, we're holding hands in the car, which is very important. Um, you know, our daughter sleeps with us and, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're intimate. You know, it's closeness, mm-hmm. it's right. contact. Right. But, um, you know, some of that, too, is, okay, a kiss in the morning, a pat on the butt. But then it never really gets past that. Right. So I think that intimacy is extremely important. It's an important lead in for sexual activity and it's an important part of a long term relationship. But I also think that I see a lot of couples using intimacy as an excuse to avoid sex. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that we have to deal with the fact that sex and intimacy, they, there's a continuum there but they can both exist without the other. Right. You know, you can have sex without intimacy, you can have intimacy without sex. Mm-hmm. And do I think that couples who have those intimate moments who might hold hands in the car and make eye contact and hug and give each other a kiss in the morning, do I still think that there's something lacking? Yeah, I do, because I think that that same couple ends up in the office and saying, well, I didn't realize anything was wrong. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. kiss, we hold hands, everything's fine. He or she seems like, you know, they're, that they're happy but in actuality, there was this missing piece mm-hmm. that, and, and it, you know, in some couples, some people just really aren't in the sex. And I think that that's fine. I think that that's perfect. And if you're not in the sex, ending up with someone else who's not in the sex is the perfect situation. Yeah. But when you're in a situation where one person is into it and the other isn't, and the other one has, conf- has tricked themselves into thinking that because we're kissing and hugging and going to the movies, that this other person isn't missing anything I think that that's a cop-out because for some people, mm-hmm. and this happens with men and some women, sex is just as important as, as food to them. Yeah. And you can tell if you're with someone like that because when you met them, this, they were all about sex. You know, sex every day. You, they're texting about sex. They're asking you about sex. And then all of a sudden when that person is no longer that person, mm-hmm. well, you can suppress that for a little while. But the minute you get a free opportunity to be around somebody else who appears to be that way and appears to be interested in in that part of you that's been Mm -hmm. laying dormant for a while, that tends to create the problem. And as a family medicine physician and as a sex and relationship expert, I do feel like families, um, you know, that that are building, you know, they're building their wealth and they're building that children and they're building all these things, that if they ignore that one little detail, it makes it too easy for things to go wrong. So I just encourage, you know, I know we don't always feel like it, half the time you don't even think about it, but I encourage you to put it on the schedule just (laughs) like you would getting your hair done. Just like you would, you know, the people who get waxing, you you get your nails done. Put that on the schedule. Right. And get it in there because that other person starts to feel like it's not necessarily the act of it. It's just that, oh, well, they just don't see me like that anymore. They start to feel like you don't want them. They start to feel like they're not sexy. And then someone else might think they are. Well, exactly. yeah, it's, it's an old boyfriend from Facebook. It's an yes. old girlfriend oh, from Facebook. oh, f- the old
0: Facebook boyfriends. You know, if we had <laughs> a dollar for every relationship
1: that Facebook has ruined, <laughs> you know, we'd be millionaires. So, I do think that intimacy cannot be um, ignored. It's an important part of making us all feel special, but I do not want any of us to feel like intimacy is a good replacement for just good old-fashioned fondling and 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 having sex yeah
0: absolutely well you summed that up really beautifully and thank you so much this was really really great i would love to continue talking love to talk again um but as we close out are there if there anything that i haven't touched on that you would like to leave our audience with. We have an audience of, uh, you know, a lot of, a large majority of our consultants are, and customers at Bedroom Candy are women, Mm -hmm. but we have a large audience of men as well who love our products and who listen to the podcast. And so I wonder if there's anything you'd like to leave as a general message.
1: Sure. I would like to encourage your distributors Mm -hmm. and the people who are fans of the product to if they are in relationships to use them with their partner. Okay. You know, and to find out a, find a way to make it something that the two of you enjoy together mm-hmm. because if you start to rely so much on something that's got batteries, you know, whether the person sleep or you're on vacation or you're at your office, What it tends to happen is that person eventually starts to feel isolated because they can't do that. You can't compete with batteries and electricity. No, No, you can't. (laughs) So I encourage your audience to encourage the people who are using the products to really try to to use it in an intimate setting, Mm -hmm. like we've discussed, as
0: opposed to necessarily always doing it solo. All right, that's a good point. So bringing the sex toys into your relationship. Yes, and, and I using and tomorrow
1: I'll be giving the ladies some tips. Okay. On to how to have those conversations. Okay. And how to encourage couples using
0: the products together. Oh, wonderful! Mm-hmm. Well, I am excited. Cannot yeah. wait. Yeah. Thank you so much it's for being pleasure. on this episode of the Business of Pleasure. Yeah. It was it's wonderful to pleasure. have you. Just great. the business of pleasure is brought to you by bedroom candy boutique parties to shop with us visit us at www.bedroomcandy.com to join our team of consultants who own their own home-based businesses join us online and enter the code BOP2017 that will get you a 10% discount on your starter kit join us today